There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are influencers on the internet. Which means Tubi is more popular than sponsored posts for digestive enzymes and high coverage foundation. More popular than soft launching your boyfriend. More popular than making boomers explode with rage when you tell them how much you make on a single post. Tubi, it's more popular than influencers. See you in there. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man who, when he was five, imagined that there was a such thing as a unicorn, and this was before he had ever heard of one or saw one. Here is the captain. That's because there was a giant horn growing in my pants. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today we are getting down with Purple Puffs by Angry Chair Brewing. Now that it's summertime and it's warming up outside, it's time to try this fruited sour with marshmallows, blackcurrant, and blackberries. It's the one with the evil-looking purple peep on the can. Garage grade four and a quarter bottle caps out of five. And here's some cheers to our peeps right here. First up, a cheers to Ann in Houston, Texas. And a big shout out to Lori in South Bend. Oh, Lordy. Next up, we have Nicole in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. And a big We Like Your Jib goes to Brooke in Baytown, Texas. And we have a shout to Elliot listening in Marietta, Georgia. And last but certainly not least, we have a big shout out and much love to Barb Edwards listening in the greater Columbus area. Thanks to everyone for helping us out with this week's Beer Fund. Yeah, B-W-E-R-U-N, Beer Run. If you'd like to support the show, big way to do it, tell a friend. Just grab their phone, (laughs) pull out their podcast app, subscribe to the show, and tell them, you must listen to this or we're not going to be friends no more. Just look at them and say, you're welcome. Yeah, you're welcome. Shmelcom. Now give the phone back, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer, let's talk some true crime. On June 6, 1996, Devin, age 6, Damon, age 5, were murdered 
Their mother, Darlie Rotier, is taken directly to the hospital. Less than two days later, on June 8th, Darlie gives a written statement to police. On June 14th, Darlie, family, and friends celebrate Devin's birthday. And that is certainly an event that we will get into when we get into the trial portion of today's show. Four days later, Captain, on June 18th, Darlie is arrested and charged with capital murder, with the murder of her two sons. We have discussed a good deal of the crime scene and evidence found at the crime scene, but we need to go through that a bit more in some strong details here, right? So let's get into some things regarding items found at the crime scene that point toward Darlie being guilty and, in some opinions, maybe even innocent. First is the knife. The knife that was used in the course of the murders was determined to have come from the home. It was a knife that came from a set from a butcher block that was kept on the kitchen counter in the Rotier home. Officer David Main testified that the butcher knife that matched the set with blood on the blade and handle was found on the kitchen counter. One knife was missing from the knife block, and this knife fit into that slot perfectly. Bob Poole an analyst with the Southwestern Institute of Forensic Sciences in Dallas testified about this knife that, quote, I was not able to determine conclusively that this knife made the wound on Devin's chest, but my opinion is that a knife with similar characteristics made the wound. Judith Floyd, a DNA analyst with Gene Screen Labs in Dallas, testified that traces of both Damon and Darlie's blood were found on this knife. She did not receive the entire knife, just some samples taken from it. Dr. Joni McLean testified that the stab wounds to Devin were, in fact, consistent with that blade. And the knife was still sitting there bloody when the officers arrived on the scene. There's really no question, in my opinion, Captain, that this was the knife that was used to kill Devin and Damon. And it came from within the Rotier's own home. Whether or not the knife came from inside the house or from outside the house doesn't point in my opinion towards her being more guilty or more innocent. That's correct. It does not tell us who was using the knife during the course of the attacks. What we do know is it was used on Darley as well. If we are to believe the blood evidence now, Darley claimed that the killer or the intruder threw the bloody knife down on the floor of her utility room. But multiple experts, this is law enforcement and crime scene analysis, testified that this story was not consistent with the evidence. They stated that there basically would have been blood splatter or other marks left on the floor by the knife cluttered, clattering to the tiles. Instead, in the utility room, there were some blood drips. And I'm going to break this down because there are multiple experts that come in and testify as to the blood evidence. But to rather than go through each one of them, I can co- collectively report what they are generally saying here. They're saying about the blood evidence a couple of things. One, they're not seeing blood evidence that suggests that whoever was carrying the bloody knife, that they were running and fleeing from the home. Okay. Again, this could have been an intruder. This could be Darlie running around with a bloody knife. 
what they're saying that it's consistent with is somebody walking slowly throughout the home. That the way that the blood is dripping from the knife and onto the floor would be that of someone walking at a slower pace, not speeding, not jogging, not sprinting through the house. Yeah, but if you just stabbed all three people, and for all you know, those are the only people in the house, why are you going to run away? Why not just walk away? Well, I, I'm not trying to get into the mind of the potential intruder here. I'm just using this and cross-referencing it against Darley's account of what went down that night. Tom Bevel, a retired Oklahoma City police captain who was the owner and teacher at a forensic school, testified about an experiment that he conducted. He dropped and threw a bloody butcher knife six or seven times onto the floor and said that he could not duplicate the blood spatters found on the utility room floor. It was his opinion, his conclusion, that no knife had ever been thrown down at that location. James Cron testified that there was no evidence that the knife had been thrown down anywhere. The blood in the utility room was from someone slowly dripping. The places where the knife had been, according to the experts, like the kitchen counter, showed patterns left on the surface by the bloody blade. There were some indication that the knife had been laid down in a few places, on a table, on the carpet in the family room, Marks on the floor and rug showed where it had been, Tom Bevel testified. These findings are inconsistent with Darley's story. And then you have to wonder why the intruder would have taken the time to put the knife down, pick it back up again in various spots around the home. I find some things troubling with this quote-unquote blood evidence, and I'm not meaning to question these experts or really even put together anything that's just kind of convenient to go along with my own personal theory. But I question one, the placement of this knife. You know, we do have evidence. I don't doubt this evidence that the knife was set down on different locations throughout the downstairs of that home. What I'm questioning is, is there a possibility that Darley did this and also did not kill her sons? We know she readily admits that she picked up the knife. Anybody that's listened to the 911 call, I hope they would agree with me and hear the amount of chaos going on within a short five to six minute window. Mm -hmm. I think that there is a potential, maybe small chance, but a chance that maybe she picked it up and that it was moved more than one time by her herself. And again, doesn't have to mean that she is in fact guilty. Correct. The, the other thing that I question too here, Captain, is, look, I'm sure this Tom Bevel's a great guy, uh, Oklahoma City police captain. He's an owner and teacher at a forensic school. His opinion that the knife was never on the floor in the utility room because he ran these experiments, conducted these tests, threw it down six or seven times. This is his testimony. When we are charging a person with capital murder and we intend as the state to execute her if we find her to be guilty, yeah, I would hope that somebody would conduct that test more than six or seven times. It seems a little... Yeah, we're convicting somebody on a sixth grade science experiment. Right, right. Even my science fair experiments had, I would run the test more than six or seven times. And so I, I question that. 
that what doesn't seem to be something that I'm able to question is the fact that she says that the intruder seems to be fleeing. He would have been by her own admission, carrying the knife at that time. There's no indication that the man was running from the scene. I don't have any reason to think that otherwise that he wouldn't be running. It seems like a good idea to get the hell out of there to me. If you were in fact, the attacker a question for you is there blood evidence on the window screen or the window ledge yes so this is a little tricky for the window where the intruder came in or came out of or was staged to have come in or out of i found a few places that state that there was uh, like a bloodied fingerprint a smudged bloodied fingerprint Mm -hmm. and there's a couple of them that were unidentified in the home not a lot i think it's only three and we'll get into that more as we carry on here but if in fact there was blood on the windowsill it would have been in the form of a smudged fingerprint let's go back and talk about the screen once again my friend because the screen is an interesting part of this case to me because darlie tells us that an intruder must have cut into this screen, opened up the window, came through the garage, then the utility room, walked into the kitchen, and then came into the family room, attacked and killed both boys and attempted to kill her before she fights him off, wakes up, whatever, screams, and then he turns and flees, drops the knife, and then goes back out that same window in the garage that he came in. The police... And the prosecution will tell you that no, that Darlie attacked and killed her sons in an attempt to stage the scene that she cut the screen. One issue, I believe, against the prosecution and the police's theories here, Captain, is that it seems readily agreed upon by everyone that the screen, they have evidence to believe that the screen was cut from the outside. And I think that if someone in the heat of the moment trying to stage a scene might not be clever enough to think that through. But her husband went to bed roughly an hour before the murders took place. So is it possible that she went outside and and started staging the scene before she would attack her children? I guess that would be, that's certainly a possibility. Yeah, that's a good point you make there because he says that Both of them say that between 1230 and 1 is when they parted ways. They don't know the exact time, but between 1230 and 1, they parted ways. He went upstairs to go to bed. She starts to fall asleep. The call comes in to 911 at 231 a.m. And if it's 1 o'clock, then yeah, you're right. If she was really planning this stuff in advance, then she could start to stage some things beforehand. Now, the screen covering an open window in the Rotier's garage was found to have been cut vertically and horizontally, as we said yesterday, in a T-shape from the outside. The screen was cut with a sharp implement. This is all per the evidence and forensics that we can see, that it was cut using a sharp instrument. One thing that's tricky and goes against Darlie's case is that law enforcement state that they believe that another knife, a large bread knife with a sharp point, 
that was found in the same butcher block that the murder weapon came from. Right. They believed that this was the knife that was used to cut the T into the screen. And they say that because on its blade, they found microscopic traces of fiberglass rods and rubber polymer dust indistinguishable in color, size, and composition from the screen's components. So they can't say 100% that this this microscopic debris, if you will, yeah. came from that screen, but they're saying that there's nothing, it, when you compare the two together, there's nothing that distinguishes it from being f- from anywhere else than that screen. Yeah, my problem with that, though, is there's a bunch of different knives in a butcher box, and how many times do you use that knife for something else other than cutting like meat or something? You might use it to open up mail, or you might use it as a... Sometimes I'll use a knife as a screwdriver. So I, I, I don't know. I get what you're saying, but I think it's a little more intricate than that. I mean, when you're comparing the the debris that would be created from cutting the screen to this microscopic debris that's found on this one particular knife. Right. Not found on any of the other knives in the block. It's definitely damning. Yeah. I, to me, it's actually more damning than the murder weapon knife. Because as you pointed Correct. out, it, just because it came from that butcher block inside the house does not mean we know whose hand was using it to stab people. So the defense does argue a point here on this knife and saying why. Okay. One, you cannot, there's no expert saying 100% that this debris came from that screen. We just have nothing in its makeup to declare that it didn't come from the screen. And we didn't find it anywhere else when, when looking the argument that the defense raises, and this is a good one, I think, They're saying, look, the same brush that you were using to dust for fingerprints and such on the the window that could have been accessed by an intruder Mm -hmm. is the same brush that you were using when you were checking all these knives. So it stands somewhat of a reasonable explanation that there was carryover. Yeah, you'd think you'd find a little bit of debris on all the knives. Well, and that's the the prosecution's argument back. That's their rebuttal. Well, we only found it on this one knife. Wouldn't if if that stands to be true what you're arguing, wouldn't we find it on all of them? Look, I don't know. I mean, does it matter that if you what order you're checking these knives in with this brush? So yeah, you should have been more careful because this it it basically makes your point invalid. You're exactly right. And if you're going to bring it up at the trial as evidence against, and there's an argument against your argument, then expect that argument to be, you know, you're bringing this into question. Yeah. If I'm on the jury, right. And people are going, look, this is a damning piece of evidence. I'm going, you have to throw this evidence out because it makes sense either way. But I think technically by the way, the way you're instructed in court to be on the jury if something weighs equally for innocence or guilt, you have to have it go towards innocence. 
Well, and one thing that, you know, a lot of people will bring up in this case is that, okay, the, the wounds, the injuries, the attack on the boys was enough to kill them, to end their lives. That's how severe it was. And the injuries to Darley, who was being accused of their murder, well, they're not as severe. She survived. She didn't have as many wounds. They weren't as deep. And it goes on and on. But this is another situation where we could spend a whole hour on her injuries. I won't waste anyone's time because my general thought about her injuries is this. They marched a lot of quote unquote experts in and out of that courtroom that Mm -hmm. said that her injuries were superficial, that she did them to herself, to herself, and they were superficial for every expert that they marched in that said her injuries were minor and superficial. The defense marched in an expert that said she almost died. They were severe. She could have died. She was within two millimeters of dying. Well, let me ask you a question. What do your eyeballs tell you? What my eyeballs tell me is reviewing some photographs that belong to this case and her injuries that are seen in a lot of these photographs. One thing that I think the the defense, I think the defense screwed up a little bit in this case. And one thing that they screwed up on is I've seen a picture that was taken of her in her hospital bed where she does not appear to be awake. This must be shortly after surgery. Mm-hmm. She looks freaking terrible, man. Like she looks to me like she's knocked out and lucky to be alive. From what I've reviewed and everything I've been told about this case and could find, that photograph was not shown to the jurors, not presented in court that day. I think it's a powerful photograph. What was shown to the jury and shown in court during the proceedings was what the prosecution presented. And these would have been pictures and photographs of her injuries, and they would have been days after word. This would be, you know, when she came into the police station and when she was eventually arrested. So those ones don't look bad at all. But I think the one that shows to me what I think is the real severity of her injuries is the one where she appears to be knocked out in that hospital bed. Yeah. I mean, I think when I look at her stitches, I mean, number one word I think is, oh, that's nasty. Yeah. That's real nasty. Uh, but it reminds me a little bit, and and do you want to guess what I'm thinking of a case that we covered? I believe it was Chicago. Uh, Lululemon mm-hmm. reminds me of that case where you have a victim, supposed victim, which is actually the murderer, going to create self-inflicted wounds. Those wounds were minor. These to me, not so much. Two millimeters away from basically killing yourself very quickly and all the other wounds pretty deep. Again, enough to have stitches on multiple parts of her body, not just on her neck. But the neck is probably the worst one of the bunch. Yeah. But anywhere she has staples, it's nasty. Well, and the neck would be... If you believe the intruder theory, if you believe Darley, that would be the wound, that would be the injury, the attack portion that the intruder is trying to use. That would be the the fatal blow right there. 
the attempt at taking her life. Yeah. And again, her injuries, you have experts arguing it both sides. Well, the injuries to her arm are not indicative of defensive wounds. And then another expert tells you they are exactly defensive wounds. Every case that, that we've reviewed here, Captain, and we're coming up on 500 episodes, so we've reviewed, uh, what, two, three, couple? Four million. <laughs> yeah. We've, we've reviewed quite a bit. Her, the, the wounds to her arms, they're in the exact spot that I would think that that's how you defend yourself. You put your arms up, you put your arms between you and your attacker. Uh-huh. So I don't know how anybody could say, oh, we can prove that these are not defensive wounds. I'm not saying that they are. I'm just saying, I don't know how anybody could stand up there and look 12 people in the eye and say, these were not defensive wounds. So I don't think the injuries to her tell us a lot. Not when you have experts arguing both sides of the coin. Right. Again, it's like I said, if something leans towards, well, it it doesn't make her look innocent or guilty, then you have to view on the side of innocent. And then they point to the kitchen sink where there's proof that someone had cleaned up around the kitchen sink, cleaned up some blood around the kitchen sink. Okay, that's great. It doesn't look good for Darley, in my opinion, but we have Darren, Darley, and people arriving at the crime scene that are saying, we saw her holding towels. Well, she put a towel on herself, and she put a towel on her her son. Correct. And so, so it's... So nobody's disputing that there there wasn't towels being used. Right, right. And I'm, I'm just saying it could be another part that's just kind of gotten lost in there. Did she clean up? I don't think it points to guilt 100% or innocence. It certainly doesn't point towards innocence. Well, again, I want to go back to what her husband said, is when he woke up before she called 911, both boys were alive. So if she is guilty of this, she was giving the opportunity for both of those kids to say, we know who did it, and it was was mom. Yeah, that's interesting because the information I have actually – it's unclear if both boys were alive, but one was most certainly alive when Darren found the boy and was still clinging to life when first responders showed up on the scene. And there were doctors that testified to that boy's injury, saying, one, he couldn't have survived very long after after sustaining those injuries. Okay, so in a matter of minutes is as long as he would be alive. That to me, actually backs up Darlie's timeline of the events. Right. She wakes up after the boys are attacked and chases the guy or runs for whatever reason into the kitchen and then very quickly immediately calls 911. And the police, we know, are on the scene before the end of the call, which is only five minutes and 44 seconds long. So that actually goes along with Darlie's timeline. And it doesn't have to be something that she had to make it fit. It just is. And Darren comes down the steps. He's still alive. The doctors also testified that the the boy would have been able to make a noise. That's their exact statement. I don't know that that means that they could talk, but it seems to me if he could make noises, again, there's a chance that he could have survived. The paramedics believed that there was a chance they could revive this kid. That's their words. As you pointed out, this kid could have told us what happened at this attack, who attacked him. And again, I don't think she has any 
type of expertise to know like, well, I stabbed him enough that he's only going to live for a couple more minutes and he's not going to be able to say my name or he's not going to be able to tell his dad that his mom killed him. Yeah. She has no expertise on that. I don't know. I think very few people would. And then there's the sock. Okay. I'm sure there's somebody out there in their car screaming at the, at the radio going, when are you guys going to talk about the sock? Well, let's get to the sock right after this quick beer break. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. 
$45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Welcome back. Cheers to everybody in the front and everybody in the back. Especially the people in the back. Here we go, Captain. Let's talk about the sock. All right. The sock Mm. evidence. And this is evidence that's found at the crime scene. The problem is this sock is not found inside the Rotier home. It's not even found on the Rotier property. It's found two houses away near a trash can. In someone's yard. So how do we know that this sock actually belongs to this case, that it's important to this case? Well, it had blood on it and it had a, some of both of the boys blood was found on this sock. Now there was no blood found anywhere else around this sock. Mm-hmm. You know, there wasn't a puddle of blood, blood drippings, nothing of that. Just this bloodied sock that has It's not even a whole lot of blood on the sock itself, but think about the location of where it was found. It's found two homes away near the trash can on someone else's property. The thing with this sock and with the blood evidence on this sock, to me, this is the one thing that strongly points toward Darlie being innocent in this case. The murder weapon, the knife, bread knife that may or may not have been used on the screen, Mm -hmm. the cut screen itself, some of the blood evidence found inside the home, Darley's injuries compared to the boy's injuries. I think anyone 
could make a strong argument for or against using any of that evidence for or against Darley. And I say that with a lot of confidence because that's what happened at the trial. Right. The cleaning of the sink is a little more damning against Darley. Again, I don't think so because she brought up the fact that she had these towels that she used to try to help her kid out and help herself out. Right. And it's one of those situations, though, I wish that there were someone to have seen her doing this, or at the very least, she says that she cleaned up around the sink for whatever reason. We don't have that, and that's why I, I call that more into question. But the whole weight of everything, I really look at this sock as being completely against Darley being guilty. And I say that because there is, in fact, blood from both of the, the deceased victims found on this sock. And then we cross-reference that with the information that we receive from the doctors at trial that state that the, the boy that died in the presence of Darren and in the presence of first responders, who, if he would have been revived, could have told us what exactly went down, that mommy attacked me or a strange man attacked me or whatever. The amount of time that it would have taken for him to expire does not leave a lot of room for someone to stage a ton of things at this crime scene. Right. The sock in particular, because the sock is a big problem for a lot of things. One, whoever placed it where it was found, and it was found by crime scene techs. So this is not something that just magically appeared later, but whoever placed it where it was found or dropped it where it was found, no one was seen. So Darlie wasn't seen running outside of the home and then coming back into the home. There was no strange man, unidentified man who was seen dropping it or in the area of where it was dropped. But again, it has both of the children's blood on it. So it was there when the, the, the boy that we know only had a short window from attack to death. It was there after he was attacked. It was inside the Rotier home after the attack. Yeah. And then found outside. And the other thing too, if, if one were to stage a crime scene, Uh it seems like a really bizarre place to place this random bloody sock. If you wanted to point and make evidence and create evidence that there was an intruder that fled the scene, you would drop this sock in the Rotier's backyard in your own backyard or at the bottom of your driveway somewhere where you you would want the crime scene text to find it now they did find it but again it was several homes away it's not in a spot that's going to be super obvious for the crime scene text to find this and what about dna why didn't they test this sock for dna well they they did find some dna and they found darlie's dna inside the sock but they didn't find any other DNA on the sock? From my under, No, they did not find any other DNA on the sock. Now, there are future tests that are scheduled for some of the items at the home, but all the tests that have been conducted on... I love this. this I love our justice system. There's future tests on a crime that happened in 1996. Well, but that's... I mean, that's not like something like, oh, we have this, we're just waiting around to do it it's it's at the appeals of darley's defense uh-huh. that these tests were granted 
her DNA is found, I don't know that that proves, again, that doesn't prove anything to me. It just proves to me that at some point and probably recently, she may have worn that sock. And looking at this utility room, is it also, is it a laundry room? I'm just wondering how this killer got the sock. Okay, so it does look to me like there's a, I only have a drawing of the ground level of the rotier home, Mm -hmm. like a floor plan. And so there are two rectangle square shaped items in the utility room, which could be washer and dryer. dryer. That would make the most sense. And according to Darley and Darren, they kept a basket of items that were used as rags. So like this sock, it's, it's mate, you know, they, you buy them in pairs, right? It's mate was never found. Not inside the home, not outside the home. I lost my mate years ago. So that, to me, stands to go along with this thought that it's a, it's now become a rag uh-huh. at its, you know, <laughs> at this point in its sock life. YOLO. And so, yes, the they kept a basket of rags and items that were to be used as rags inside this utility room. So, again, if a criminal entered the home through that window in the garage, they would come in. The only room that the, it's accessible to the home is then the utility room. They could have quickly just grabbed that sock and placed it over their hand or, or, or used it in, in some manner to try to, you know, go in and then pick up a knife with it. The thing is, if, if your criminal, if your intruder is in fact a sophisticated criminal, He's got gloves on his hands. There's a good strong chance he's not leaving his DNA inside that sock. Right. Again, the issue becomes how does that sock get to where it is and Darlie remains inside the home calling 911 all at the same time. That, that doesn't leave a whole lot of time for Darlie to stage all of these items. Yes, there's some time for her to stage some of them. I will admit that. I don't see enough time to stage all of these items especially the sock. Yeah, I agree. And that was something that was presented at the trial and something that the prosecution, they just didn't address because they didn't have an answer for it. Mm-hmm. Well, again, to it, it's 1996. So DNA testing and our, our knowledge of DNA was not the greatest. So I'm certain even if there was even traces of touch DNA, that they wouldn't have been able to get that off the sock. That seems correct to me. The, again, they do have Darlie's DNA from that, and of course they have both boys because they have blood evidence from both boys on that sock as well. I do want to point out something, too, that I failed to mention when discussing the screen. So the windows in this garage, you would only see these windows from the back of the home. Okay, You wouldn't see these out front. And these windows only look to be about eight, maybe nine inches off of the ground, off of concrete. I'm pointing that out because if I were an intruder, if I were looking for a way into this home, I have to say, Captain, that's the same window I would pick. I would pick one of these two windows in that location. Yeah, makes the most sense. And it would not be hard to climb in and out of this window. You would slice the screen 
open up the window, put your foot, your left foot or right foot in, and then you bend down and boom, you're in the garage. Well, and if you're a neighbor, you could sneak into their garage when their garage door was open and unlock those windows. Well, and that's, you bring up a fine point there, my friend, something we mentioned time and time again in previous episodes, uh, in particular, the Aurora Hammer Slayer episodes. Make sure your windows are locked, people. And then take it a step further, like we said in the Aurora case, lock the door from your garage to your home. Mm -hmm. Because if there was an intruder in this case, Captain, that's how they got to into and exited the home in this case. So what we're saying is lock your shit up. Lock that shit up tight. There was a vacuum that was also called into evidence, and this is because they it was found tipped over, and the prosecution and law enforcement stated that this vacuum was tipped over, and they could prove that this was further sign that someone was staging the scene because underneath the tipped over vacuum, they found debris and blood, meaning that the vacuum was tipped over, not during the course of a scuffle or someone fleeing the home, but it was tipped over afterwards to make it look like there was a scuffle that the blood was in a location where it could not have been if the vacuum was already tipped over. Yeah, but you can bump a vacuum and it, it tips over. I don't know if it necessarily proves that somebody was trying to stage uh, a scuffle. You know, I agree with you, and we don't need to argue this point. I'm just pointing out that the their argument was that the blood was in a location that if the vacuum was already tipped over, that the the scuffle was already over at that point. The right. mur- the attack had already happened. The stabbings had already happened. Right. We don't need to argue it any further because this actually was later proved to have been moved by crime scene techs. So. Right. Right. So what you're saying is that now we have proof that crime scene techs messed with the crime scene. Yeah. On, and in not a positive way. No, they either bumped it over or, or moved it during the course of, of their work there. I mean, they were, they crime scene techs were at this scene for nine straight hours after arriving on the scene and probably several visits after that as well. So this is a lot of work, a lot of moving pieces and parts. I'm pointing this out to go, well, if we can prove that this is the case with the vacuum, what does it say to us about the sink area and some of the other things that we call into question inside the home? What we can't, what I think we cannot call into question is this sock. I think this sock it's to me, it's not 100% definitive proof that, that Darley is innocent, but to me, it, it strongly suggests given the timeline that we have to work within, we, we cannot change the timeline. It is what it is. Those are the hardcore facts of this case. There does not seem to me to be enough time to kill both children, administer my own injuries stage all these things, get the sock two doors down outside without being seen, cut the screen alarm and awake my husband call 911. And then the first responders are on the scene before the 911 call is over. Well, and again, 
I think they came to a conclusion way too early, and I think if you, if they would have started questioning people in that neighborhood, they would have found somebody that knew a little bit too much about Darling, right? A little bit too much. Liked her a little bit too much. Knew a little bit too much about her schedule. Knew a little bit too much about her family. Because it, it seems to me if you're finding the sock, yes, you could park a car far away, and you're going to, I guess, run to your car to get away. But with the sock being found, if it's an intruder, I would say that points more to somebody that lives in the neighborhood. Could be. I just think that if it were somebody that had good knowledge of the victim and using victimology, it seems like there would have been a more optimal time to to plan your attack. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's true. I mean, you know that there, that, that Darren lives there. If you know a good deal about Darley, you just, and from everything we see, they're operating with one vehicle at this time, at this stage in their lives. You yeah. Would, that's an interesting fact too, because it's like, I wonder what you could see into the garage from those outside windows. Well, the car because was if, parked out front in the driveway. Right. But either way, you'd be able to see if there's a second car. Correct. And if you didn't know much about them and you just saw one car, you the perpetrator might assumed, oh, well, I see her laying down on the couch and there's only one car here. Her husband must be at work or he must, you know, I mean, he must work third shift. I'm just saying if the perpetrator didn't know much about her. Yeah, that's a good call. And then I take it a step further. If in fact it were a stranger that, that broke into the home, stranger danger, I keep going back to the idea, captain, that somebody could have seen her. The vantage point would not have been great, but somebody could have seen her through one of the windows in the family room sleeping on the couch and maybe not have seen the two boys sleeping on the floor. And even with the chance of a husband being upstairs, some of these guys will take that risk. Right. You go in, your your goal would be to sneak in undetected to the point where maybe she doesn't wake up until you already have hands on her, till you're already threatening her, because we've seen this with the uh, Golden State Killer, with, with uh, serial rapists, and time and time again, the idea is they're, they're not waking up until, until the point where the threat is already there, so you can silence them. So that they're silenced. And then whomever's upstairs is not a key factor in in the course of your attack. Right. What becomes really screwed up real quickly if you are an intruder is stumbling upon these, these kids sl- sleeping on the floor. And Damon was actually in a position which doesn't make a whole lot of sense of why he would be sleeping there uh, where he was found. But if he was, in fact, sleeping in the position where he was later found... There's a chance that if that if those rooms were dark enough, remember Darley's words in her written statement is that she flipped on a couple of lights after this attack and that the TV was turned off at some point. Mm-hmm. There's a chance that the intruder may not have known that that child was sleeping on that floor until he stepped on them or stumbled over them. Yeah. By this point, gloved hands, he's come in, he's put the put the sock over his gloved hand, pulled a knife out of the butcher block that's on the counter in the kitchen, which he would have walked past that through the kitchen anyway on his way into the living room. Now, the short of it here, Captain, we won't continue along too much 
on this trial. But the short of it is that on January 6, 1997, this is just two days after Darley's 27th birthday. That's when the trial began. On February 1st, Darley was convicted of murdering Damon. She was only charged with, well, only taken to trial for the one murder. The thought being a couple of reasons why. He was young enough that it was an automatic capital murder case. Right. They, They were getting the death penalty if they got a conviction in that case. And if they were to lose that case, there's a good chance that at a later date they would have charged her she was charged with both murders, but actually taken her to trial for the murder of Devin. Uh, three days later, she was sentenced to death by lethal injection by the state of Texas. Now, we talked a lot about motive. What would be the possible motive? Well, if she were, in fact, the killer of these two children, the state points to a few different things as being possible motive. One, depression, that she was depressed. Two, that the family was having money problems. Again, The money problems are certainly in dispute for everybody that says they were having money problems. There's also evidence that they weren't having money problems. And we'll circle back to that. And then the other one was that she was unhappy in life and did not want to be married anymore. Did not want to be a mother anymore. The money problem thing is certainly a weird one here, because if you look at the life insurance policies on the members of the Rotier family, they did not have a whole lot of insurance on the two murdered boys. Mm-hmm. They didn't even have enough to cover their funerals. Right. So, so they went, if, if money was a problem and she's killing to get out of that problem, well, they, they became more in debt because of the murders. Right. From my, from what I could find here, captain, it was $5,000 on each child and they spent approximately $14,000 total on the, funeral services. Now, if money is what Darley was seeking, there was a huge life insurance policy on Darren. Why not just kill him? Yeah, the husband is big money. I mean, we're talking $5,000 a kid compared to, it was like $250,000 life insurance on Darren. It is my belief, Captain, that in large part, Darley Rotier was convicted Not so much on the evidence, because I think we've done a good job of pointing out that a lot of the evidence could be argued either way, for innocence or guilty. However, one thing that really stood out was this silly string incident. Okay, so Darlie and her whole family participated in a birthday party for Devin. This was days after he was killed. They were doing their best to mark this special occasion with joy instead of sadness. And but hold on a second, this, this doesn't make sense to me. Maybe it's because I don't have my own biological kids. But if my kid died or my kid was murdered, I don't think I would go to his grave site and celebrate his birthday. I think I would. You could maybe do something at home you know, to think about him and maybe even have a cake there or something, but, but to go to the gravesite, I don't know. I guess that's a little strange, but that that's just my thoughts. I agree with you. And I bet you if Darlie were here with us today, she would agree with you as well, because I think I found her having a statement somewhere at a much later date that says, you know, looking back, it might've been a bad idea, but she says, look, my, my son was, 
turning seven. We already planned some of his birthday before he was killed. And he was very much looking forward to being seven. And we wanted to have some kind of celebration for him, some kind of birthday party for him. Now, in Darlie's defense, it was her sister's idea uh, for portions of this event. It wasn't just her idea. But the reason why we're discussing this is because the police department took video of this event, okay? And they showed it over and over again to the jury. Well, what was the jury seeing? They were seeing Darlie smiling, laughing, having a good time, shooting silly string all around Devin's and Damon's grave. Yeah, she looks like she's not even at a grave. She looks happy in the video. We've all, you know, anybody familiar with this case has seen this video. She looks as if her kids have not just recently been murdered. So they showed this video at the trial. And I know of at least one juror that says that this video is what sealed the deal for him. That she was guilty of killing these boys. I, for the life of me, cannot figure out what the hell the defense was thinking captain Duh. but what happened here is the prosecution actually had a video that was hours long it was hours long the second half of the video shows a whole bunch of happy people rotier family and friends happy celebrating this birthday party the first half of the video shows a very sad graveside service and gathering of these friends and family where Darlie is crying. I mean, crying out loud. It's not just weeping silently to herself. And we're talking almost two hours of crying and praying and crying and praying together with all these other people. That portion, of course, the prosecution's not going to show. And I've seen some people that say, that's unfair that the prosecution didn't show that portion. They want to win the case. Yeah, they, their job they didn't is show to, up to lose. Yeah, their job is to get a conviction. Yeah, you think you this think is, Michael Jordan shows up and goes, you know what? Let's spot the other team thirty points. Let's just tie my hand. I'm the my best. Back. Yeah, I'm yeah. the best. Spot them thirty points. Give them a shot. No, well, I mean OJ's prosecutors did this. You know. Well, the <laughs> only thing that the prosecution has to do legally is say to the court, look, this this videotape that we have, this we consider this to be evidence. Can, will you allow us to submit it as evidence? Yes, we will. Okay, well, then that means everything from start to finish on that, that right. cassette is evidence. And their only job at that point is to turn it over to the defense and say, we've seen it all. You should see it all as well. And then you can decide, defense, what portions of the video you want to use in your defense of your client. But this stuff I hate, and I hate arguing about this stuff, when people will say to you, well, look, uh, she shouldn't have been smiling at their grave site. That's proof that she's guilty. We don't know how, you don't know how you'd react to these things. Just like the 911 call. I don't know how I'd react uh, to seeing my kids and puddles of blood would i be even able to talk would i even be able to call 911 i i don't know so i think these times where people want to point this as some kind of evidence look i think it makes her look bad and that's probably one of the reasons she got convicted but 
It's not evidence. It's not evidence, but again, the defense had access to this, and I will read you what happened and what went down at the trial. The defense decided that they did not need to insist that the remainder of the silly string video be shown. That means after the silly string portion was shown where everybody's laughing and having a good time and Darlie looks like a horrible mom who's not remorseful or regretful or in mourning at all. After that's shown, the defense made a conscious decision to not show the other portion, not showing the long, terribly sad prayer service and memorial for the two boys. This, in my opinion, was an enormous mistake. After the trial, juror Charles Sanford said in an affidavit that, quote, had we been shown this other tape so that we had been able to see the whole picture of what happened that day, I believe I would not have voted to convict Mrs. Rotier. Wow. Take this a step further. This was a big reason to find her guilty from these jurors. This was something that when they were back behind the scenes, when they're deliberating, when they're, when they're, when they're trying to come to their conclusion, guilty or innocent, they played that silly string video. I have seen that they played it five, six, seven, maybe a dozen times Yeah, behind closed doors, not inside the courtroom, just where the 12 of them could view it and watched it over and over and over again. And I'm sure every single time they hit play, they became a little more convinced at this woman's guilt. So I think this was a huge mistake on the part of the defense. Well, yeah, but it's also as far as public opinion goes, because we know that sometimes the the hands of justice move very slowly. But if she gets convicted because of this, I think one of the reasons by having this shown also to the public, like on news channels and stuff like that, they go, look at this monster. Look at this woman. She she must be responsible. We got a conviction, and she must be responsible. And that's why I think a, I think this clip itself is the reason why there hasn't been this crazy movement to, I mean, there has been a movement, but a crazy overwhelming amount of people that say, this doesn't make any sense why she is convicted. We also referenced earlier, Captain, some unidentified fingerprints. There were some unidentified prints in the house. They have never, to this day, been identified. There were prints found on the garage window, which housed the slashed screen, the exact location, the base of the window. This would be where you would think that the intruder or maybe even Darley herself trying to stage the scene would have touched. Right. It's been stated that these fingerprints do not, do not belong to Darley, Darren, or law enforcement officials investigating the case. Also, a fingerprint found in blood on the coffee table was too smudged to identify. We have one expert that says that it is his opinion that the this fingerprint appeared to belong to a child. The defense put forth a witness that said, that it could be that of an adult. Another bloody fingerprint found on the door out to the garage from the utility room to the garage was too smeared to be useful at all. So someone with bloody hands touched the coffee table near the boys and the door handle to the garage and someone touched the garage window. Whose fingerprints are these? We don't, 
we can't match them to anybody known to be inside that home that night. Yeah. I do want to point out something too. A lot of times when you have smudged fingerprints and look, I don't know the size of this and I'm, I'm guessing that's what this expert's saying. Well, it, it probably belonged to one of the boys. It was, it may have been a smaller fingerprint. Again, an expert saying, well, it could have belonged to an adult, but smudged fingerprints that are found in blood, they're usually smudged and have no actual fingerprint because the person that left that smudge was wearing gloves, that it comes from a gloved hand. Yeah, or if he's wearing one glove and it's glittered, then we know who it is. And I do want to point out here, Captain, and I'm not saying that these persons make better suspects than Darlie. I'm not saying that, uh, I'm just saying that I'm pointing out that there are other avenues that could have been taken with this investigation. There are other things to have been considered here. She wasn't the standalone suspect in my mind. One, we have a black car that was seen casing the Rotiers neighborhood street. And even some witnesses say home, this would have been weeks before the attack. So we have multiple eyewitnesses, multiple people living in the neighborhood that they say they spotted at one time during the nighttime, weeks before the attack, a suspicious black vehicle. Next we have, this one I think is really alarming. We have two men that try to enter a home in the same neighborhood in the one o'clock AM hour that same night. Oh my God. Yeah, so some woman, she's saying that she fell asleep on her couch. She was either reading or watching TV. She falls asleep on her couch. She hears someone attempting to open her front door, you know, just using the handle. And so she got up and looked through the peephole and said that she saw two men standing on her front porch who then fled once they couldn't get in the door. That's the same night and... We talked about what time Darren and Darlie say that they went to sleep. That's in the same time frame. <sighs> How can you lose this case? Well, and here's one that I can name by name, and I don't think that they would have. There would have been. Wait, no and reason. hold on a second, because we also don't know the person that was casing their house weeks earlier. We we possibly casing the home. Possibly casing their house weeks earlier. The neighborhood, the street. It's not that hard to go, okay, but we also have these two guys that were trying to break into another house. It's not too far to, I'm just saying like, they always say to win a defense or to win a case, you just have to have a better story or a more logical story. Or present enough doubt. Yeah. I mean, you could say, well, maybe the guys that broke into that house were the same people casing their house earlier. Or maybe they weren't, but maybe, maybe they that weren't. Means they that, just went that means, and tried another house. Right. And that means there's multiple people trying to break into the houses in this area. What I find highly alarming about that witness's uh, statements is think about it. She's saying, I was asleep on my couch. There's, I'm not saying this happened, but is there a chance that one or both of those guys looked through a window, saw this woman by herself sleeping on a couch and said, now let's try the door and see if it opens. Yeah, this is this is our house. This is our victim. It's not too damn hard to believe that they went throughout, you know, went to different parts of the neighborhood and continued to look in windows and maybe spotted another young, attractive woman sleeping on her couch and decided, you know what? Yeah. The door doesn't work, and we may have woke the person up at the last one. Let's see if we can find a window that's open or a window that's unlocked. And also, they want to be 
that afraid of if there is a male home because there's two of us. Right. And again, the chance that you could silence your potential victim before they could alarm anybody that you are even in the home. Here's one. And again, police and investigators would have had no way of knowing this individual's name at the time. We know this guy. And actually when I was reviewing this case here, captain, this is bizarre to me because I thought, well, when I first looked into it, I thought this woman's guilty as hell. And as I started looking more and more into it, I started thinking, "Eh, maybe she didn't do it. Well, if she didn't do it, then somebody else did. Is there an alternative? Yeah. And the first person that jumped to my mind was Michael Jackson, Tommy Lynn sells. He is a serial killer. He was active at the time. He was active as far as we know from 1980 to the year 2000. He was active in the states of Missouri, New York, Illinois, Texas, and Kentucky, probably others as well. He earned the nickname Coast to Coast or the Cross Country Killer. Yeah, yeah, I know this guy. Uh, But the reason why he jumped to mind to me was he actually committed crimes that were very similar to this case. And as we already pointed out, he committed murders in the state of Texas. So... One one to just give you a little taste of it, because I don't want to go too far into Tommy Lynn Sells, because there would be a lot to talk about. But just to prove that he did similar types of crimes, in 2004, Tommy Lynn Sells confessed that on October 13th, 1997, he broke into a home, took a knife from a butcher block in the kitchen, stabbed a little boy to death, and scuffled with a woman that he found inside the residence. This was Julie Ray Harper and her son, Joel Harper. Joel was killed. Julie survived the attack, and she was later charged with Joel's murder and convicted of killing her son. Then years later, Tommy Lynn Sells confesses to this attack on this boy. But he only has one conviction, and they say, what, 22 suspected Murders. Yeah, the words that we have are retired Texas Ranger John Allen said, quote, we did confirm 22 murders. I know there's more. I know there's a lot more. Obviously, we won't ever know. He's been executed. He was executed by the state of Texas. Well, got him. Well, real quick, too, if this photo is correct of one of his victims that I think got away, this younger victim, it looks like her one of her wounds is in the exact same spot on the body as the neck wound on Darlene. Yeah. So that's why I mean, his attacks were very similar. He was known to break into a home and then he would often kill as many people as he could. But in most cases, he only ended up killing the children and would attack somebody else or scuffle with them, fight with them, attempt to kill them and flee the scene. And he did this in multiple states. What a shit princess. A couple of other possibilities, and here's one that seems a little obvious and and we just didn't get to it, but would be Darren Rotier. Yeah. Now, I do want to point out, and I'm not going to go too far down this road because we have Darley, who has said from day one and still to this day, even after they have scheduled her, her, her date of execution has not been scheduled, but she's been... That's her punishment. She said all along, all this time, Darren was not the guy that I saw that night. 
Darren could never have done this. On the reverse, Darren has always said that he never believed Darley killed the kids. Yeah. He stood by her. He still stands by her to this day. Well, and I know there's a camp of people that believe it's possible that they're both responsible and they're both covering for each other. I just don't see the evidence to say that he was involved at all. I find it hard to believe that Darley would stand by him all these years after she's been sentenced to be executed. Right. At some point you walk away from that and you say, all right, this guy was involved as well. There are several other things here too, Captain. At some point, Darley said that she suspected one or possibly even two men that lived in her neighborhood. I don't know the details of that, but that's something she has said over the years. I don't know who these men are or why she would suspect them. Skip Hollinsworth, one of my favorite true crime writers that writes for Texas Monthly, he referenced something that he had seen elsewhere that at one time there was some suspicion surrounding a local police officer's son. Um, I'm guessing this would be a grown man's son. And then also one thing that is brought up in this case, and it's kind of an aside, I couldn't find any real information on it. But it was super bizarre to to find out was that there was an active serial rapist that was active in the greater Dallas area at the time of these murders. Again, like we said, the, the most logical motive for us, if it's an intruder, would be sexual. Sexual would be a stranger attack would be my, my opinion for for the most part. But one thing that I found interesting about this serial rapist that's referenced in this story again couldn't find information if this rapist ever escalated to murder or committed murders in the course of his other crimes i couldn't find if the the person was ever caught but one thing that they did state is that this serial rapist at the time was known to use items found inside the victim's home during his attack the sock the knife. That's what we have here in Darley's case. Well, no, and also, like you said, this um, serial rapist that's in the area could have been these two men that the eyewitness saw those that night. It could have been the black car that people saw uh, in the neighborhood. They all could be connected. And personally, if you if you wanted to sit down and ask the colonel, what do you think happened here? look, this might piss off a lot of people. I don't know, but I actually lean toward her it's being better innocent. to be pissed off than pissed on. <laughs> I lean toward her being innocent. I'm not 100% convinced either way. I'm putting a lot of weight into other people's thoughts and theories. One being the juror that we already referenced and talked about saying that I think this could have gone the other way. Had we had more information and seen this other video. I also take a lot of stock and put a lot of stock into Darren Rotier himself yes. standing by and saying that she's innocent all these years. Again, it's the behavior of this woman. There were some people that questioned her behavior and there were other people that said she was like the, the greatest mom. You know, she would, she loved these kids. She would do anything for her children. Yeah. And I don't see a history there. I don't see a history of violence. There's nobody that's come forward that said, hey, there was bruises on these kids all the time or that she was a violent person or an angry person. Again, 
there's there seemed to be no mention of a fight that night between even her and her husband. And also, I think if she had any of those traits or if she had anything that would trigger her husband to not believe her, I don't think he would believe her. And I don't think he would stand by her because you you just murdered two of my kids. I could see why they came up with the theory, but I think this is a, a situation where law enforcement came up with the theory and then they try to put the pieces. We'll make them work. We'll, we'll make the pieces fit. Again, that's the prosecution's job to get the conviction. It's the defense to, to, to obviously get her acquitted. I don't think she should have been. Maybe you charge her. Maybe there's enough to charge her. I don't think there's enough to convict her. So whether you think that she's innocent or guilty, I don't think there's enough to convict her. And I think the defense should have had an easy day in court of defending any piece of evidence thrown at her. And I'm also putting a lot of stock into this next bit here, Captain. In 1999, there was a book that came out on this case, and it was called Precious Angels, a true story of two slain children and a mother convicted of murder by Barbara Davis. This book accounts for Rotier's guilt, for Darley Rotier's guilt. The author was convinced at the time of writing the book, researching the book, and releasing it that Darley was 100% guilty. Barbara Davis has since changed her mind and now supports Darley Rotier by donating all of the income from her book to Darley's family. Very interesting case, one that you could go back and forth on depending on what side you're hearing the evidence from. Would like to hear your opinion on this case. Go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the blog and let us know what you think. And if you need more True Crime Garage for your earballs, check out our bonus show called Off the Record. We do a lot of case updates. So if you're going, hey, I know you guys covered this, but this was in the news, you should do an update. We probably already have on Off the Record. That's right. Join us back here in the garage next week for a new episode of off the record and a new case on true crime garage until then be good be kind and don't litter This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.